0: But alright, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, We're starting the new book last last week, and we're going to continue on this morning, so let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start there in verse 10. Father, we do now, as we come to your word, we ask that you would just continue to move through our hearts and through our midst, Lord. Draw us close as we look into your word, as you're so faithful to do, Father, um, just minister to our hearts uh, draw us again, close for we ask this in Jesus name, Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in the book of Corinth or Corinthians, as we say, and i 'll put our map up there, and Corinth is kind of in the center of that map. I know it's a little hard to read some of those names, but uh it 's pretty much in the center, and you can see Italy with the boot on the over left there, uh and then the next peninsula going down is the Greek peninsula there, and Corinth is on that. Big Island in the middle, and you can I could think you can read the word Corinth there, and so modern day Greece was Greece back then, and then of course turkey to the to the right of that and so this is the church and where he was uh, uh, who he was speaking to now remember he um, is writing this letter to the church. Um, we know that as we'll read here in verse ten that um, you know, Chloe, or verse 11, I should say, um, spoke to Paul about some of the problems in the church. We know that there were some questions the Corinthians had as well. And uh, again, um, you know, he's going to address all those things. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Corinthians, you'll know that it deals with a lot of problems in the church. There was uh, sexual immorality. There was lawsuits. There was, maybe I would say today, partying, if you would, Um there was The church services really weren't organized because the gifts of the Spirit were being used out of order. And there was just a lot of things that we'll go through. Um, but what's the first problem that's addressed? And seemingly the most important one because, you know, it's addressed first here. And so of all the problems that you can, you can think of, this is uh, the one we're going to look at first. And seemingly, again, most important is uh, division. So Paul had spent the first nine verses, which we talked about last time, just by way of introduction, and there was all, a lot of uh, commonality and the great place that we have in the body of Christ and who we are in Jesus and what the Father's done. And so, you know, he he spoke of all the commonality and the great things that we have in the Lord, and then he starts to address the issues. And again, the first one he's going to get to is division. And uh, you know, I I would put that up there as the top one myself too if, out of all the ones that are listed here now again as we go through these things just remember it's these things are still common in the church today it's not like this has happened 2,000 years ago and we're immune to all these things as a matter of fact all the things that we'll just dis- discuss here in the book of Corinthians are things that we uh, and still happen and we still deal with in the church. So it's very relevant for us today. And, and again, remember the church is made up of people. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not this you know, place uh, you know, we go to on Sunday or some other day of the week. Um, it, the, the church is the people. And where we meet is a building. And uh, again, we talked about that last time. So their problem with the church, problem with the people. Not the plumbing's wrong, or the heating's not working, or the windows busted, or the sprinklers aren't working, or the church needs to be re landscaped or something like that. The problems with the church means the problems with the people and what's what's going on here. And again, the first one is division, and so let's let's read the first six verses here of well, ten through sixteen, and then we'll go back and look at them so we get a kind of an overview of what he's talking about here. So, verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this that each of you says i'm of paul or i am of apollos or i am of cephas or i am of christ is christ divided was paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of paul i thank god that i baptized none of you except crispus and gaius lest any of you should say that i baptized in my own name verse 16 says yes i also baptized the house of stephanus household of Stephan- stephanus Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. So he jumps right in, you know, he's pleading with them in verse 10, right? And I, I just plead with you guys that you have the same thing, the same heart. There, there wouldn't be any divisions, that you'd be perfectly joined together with the same mind and the same judgment the same way of thinking about things. Um, again, this is so important uh, that we as a church really see this. Now, this is taught over and over again in the Bible. I mean, to be in unity and to be uh, together and to think the one and to have this harmony within the body of Christ is just spoken over and over and over again. It's just taught in the Bible in so many places. Um, There really shouldn't be any divisions like this amongst us. Now, that doesn't mean we agree on everything, right? Um, uh, we don't need to agree on everything. And, you know, but there's room for that in the body of Christ, in the church, because we do agree on so much. And let's not squabble over usually what's nothing more than opinion, because that's what we really do. Well, I believe of this about this, I think about this. And usually the things that we squabble over are just a matter of opinion, not biblical um, foundational and biblical truths. It just tends to be you know, uh, opinions about different things, you know? and typically you know, it has to do with politics or some nuances that you know, we've picked up in the Bible or this or that. And we just, again, we need to remember that the heart of Jesus is that we are in one. The heart that the Bible tells us the Father wants us to, do, to be is to be in unison and as a matter of fact, just I'll put up there John uh, 17, uh, 21. Remember when Jesus is praying this after the Last Supper, and verse 21 says, He prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Um, you know, the heart of Jesus is, you know, that they may be one. And this is, you know, chapter 17 where he's addressing all believers. So it, it's meant for us. That's the heart of our Lord. Now, in this time in particular, the devil was working outside the church causing persecution, right? We know that Paul will be put to death. That's writing this. There's a lot of persecution. It kind of came from the Jews at first, and then that caused the church to, to send, uh, you know, kind of uh, move out, uh, uh, you know, if you would, uh, because of the persecution, people went out and shared the gospel, and, and then, you know, people got saved in the Gentile word, and eventually that, the, the persecution would come from the Roman government. And, um, and it certainly came from different cities. You read the book of Acts, there were city rulers that didn't like it, and the Jews would stir up the, the, the Roman or the city rulers to be against the, the preaching of the gospel. But here, you can see that the devil is trying to work inside the church. Just don't forget that's one of the, the devil's most successful plays in the playbook against the church is to work inside the church because, you know, yes, there's persecution, and yes, he's always trying to apply outside pressure using people and countries and this and that. But typically, when the church comes under pressure like that from the outside, it tends to grow and blossom. People tend to be, uh, you know, either you're going to be walking what the Lord wants you to be when there's pressure of going to jail or being arrested or having your, you know, family arrested or you arrested or having your, your house and your job taken away and all those kind of things. You know, either you're going to live for, for the Lord or you're not. There's no, you know, straddling the fence and try to keep one foot in and one foot out. Um, and it tends to really cause the church to grow. And so, of course, one of the devil's successful plays is to do it on the inside. And of course, we have it here. What better than to divide and make division within the body of Christ or in the church? And again, you know, you know there's some. There's going to be some disagreements, and we don't. And and quite frankly, you're going to find yourself spending more time with certain people um, because that they just you know you guys get along and you're friends and you talk and you have this good relationship. And there'll be more people you'll be. Some people you spend more time with, but. Uh, that doesn't mean we should ever exclude anyone or, or, or not hang out with anyone. We should always be open to hang out with everybody and spend time with everybody in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, again, we won't have friends and, and maybe a, a group that we hang out with a little bit more than others. That's, there's fine. There's room for that. But we need to be open to hanging out with whoever the Lord wants to do and growing and being in fellowship with them and be open to whoever the Lord might bring our way. Even though um, they're from the outside and think that you're not, they're not your type or something like that, or you couldn't just get along. We need to be open to that, because there's room in the body of Christ, and who knows what the Lord might, who the Lord might bring. That might be a great blessing to you or to the body of Christ. You know that somebody that you didn't really think of in that way. And, and finally, you know, we shouldn't hold anything against the, you know, the body of Christ. Um, you know, if there's something you hold against another believer, we should, you know, really repent and get right, you know, because it's poison. You know, if you really, if there's somebody in the church that's another believer and you got this really deep-seated bitterness and hatred toward, that's something that, that, you know, it needs to be addressed right away and needs to be dealt with in your life. Now, even if they're not willing to do it, then, you know, you have to be willing to do it. You, you, you can't, because that's just the foothold that the enemy wants to get in your life and spread through the church. Because typically, when somebody doesn't like somebody, you know, it, it, you know it's happened here at our church, you know, we were, uh, as a matter of fact, when things were growing, and man, things were really happening and big, you know, that's when the division hit, and somebody didn't like what I said, and misunderstood what I said, and they passed on to somebody else, and then they talked to everybody in the church about it, and Pretty soon, you know, there was half the people who were against me, and I didn't even talk to them or say anything. They just believed what somebody said about what I said, and that's what it meant, and it was just like, what? <laughs> you know, it just really struck out of left field, and I'm like, wow, you know, after all this time and years, you think they would at least give me the benefit of the doubt, but they were so quick to buy into something that was misrepresented and really wasn't true, and and, and yet, you know, I, I, you know, we've seen it, and you've been involved. You've been around where you've seen people split up like that, and, and that's just the, you know, the seed, the poison that the enemy uses to to divide the body of Christ. And we need to uh, remember that. Um, now, here, you know, it talks about specifically what they were being, you know, uh, divided over, and that's they were associating with different people in in the body of Christ, particularly leaders and teachers. Um, now, remember, in their day, unlike our day, if you get mad at this church, you don't like this pastor, or somebody does something in the church to offend you, or you don't like them, or they look at you wrong, or people, <laughs> for all sorts of reasons, oh, forget it, I'm just not going to go there. I'm just going to go to the church down the street. And, uh, you know, people will do that. But in this day and age, there wasn't that. There was the Corinthian church. And if you went to church, you went to the Corinthian church. You know, there there wasn't a bunch of, you know, churches in the city of Corinth. There was the church in the city of Corinth. And unlike what we have today, you know, they had to get along. Now, the Lord's, you know, as the body has grown and the size, there's room for having more churches within a community. You know, the Lord didn't say, let's have one church for Watsonville, and then we, you know, we buy up this huge piece of land and build a big, huge building and have tons of parking and, and everybody goes to the same place. No, there's there's room in the body to have this. But, but again, in that day and age, they didn't have that time. So even all the more important, when there was little divisions, you know, would start fracturing the church. And, you know, Chloe brings this up. She understands this in verse 11, you know, uh, it's been declared or it's been told me that you know, by those of Chloe's household, that there's contentions among you. She told me, I realize, I see this, that, you know, there's these fractures because people are fracturing around Paul and around um, Apollos and around Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And then, you know, some were saying, no, I'm of Christ. And, you you know, there was all these little factions and groups here. And, you know, that's what verse 12 says. And I say to each of you, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And then, you know, the question, verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, obviously, he's using himself and not somebody else. But, again, moving, you know, broadly into the body, they were polarizing around personalities. Right? And that should never happen. Um, Now, you may like somebody's teaching or preaching, and quite frankly, I think you should. I mean, I think, you know, a person should think, think that the church they go to is the best in the community. I mean, I think that, Ross, you wouldn't be there, you know. Um, and I think you should like, you know, and, and to like certain people is, is not wrong. It's good. You, you get fed from one person more than the other. I know there's people... They're very godly, but man, I just, they put me, you know, they bore me to tears. (laughs) You know, I just, I can't listen to them, because they're just, oh, can you talk a little faster? Because they talk like this, and oh, man, you know, and, uh, you know, but uh, they, uh, they're great people. But some people love that, you know, they, they, they don't have as a hyper personality as I do, or, or whatever the case might be. So there's room for that, but never to say that they are, or you are, more spiritual because you listen or like uh, or follow, you know, what their teachings and their ministry in some powerful way. It, it, you know, this is called elevation of the messenger, and it should never happen because we are all messengers. The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. And we all point to the message, and whoever he chooses to use as a messenger, at the end of the day, we're messengers. Whether uh, we share it on a person on -on one-on-one, or whether you share it in a pulpit or some other varying form, you know, we're just a messenger. And we never uh, elevate the the messenger. Um, It's like this. It's like, you know... uh, Annabelle brings me this great plate of food. She's got her great rice and her beans and these great, you know, enchiladas she makes or something on this plate and she brings it and puts it down in front of me and, you know, it's dinner time and I'm hungry and I just say, oh man, that plate is just so beautiful. Look at the markings on the edge of that plate. It's just so wonderful. Oh, that plate is so good. And, you know, Annabelle's down there, wait a minute. Who cares about the plate? It's holding what's important, which is the food, right? And, and complimenting the cook, if you would. And it's like complimenting the plate, you know, uh, uh, not the food, if you would. I know the illustration breaks down, but you get the idea here. You know, it's like lifting up the plate instead of what's on the plate. The messenger instead of the message. And, and again, um, you, you know, we just can't think because we like, or listen to, or, you know, a person ministers to us that it's more spiritual to, because you, you know, you do, well, I like listening to blah, 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 because they're blah, 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 you know, and, and, you know, you make, you sound like you're more spiritual or whatever, and, and, you know, people that listen to this person are a little bit over here, we just can't have that, you know, they love this person over here, you love that person over there, great, but that's it, we're all messengers, and, of course, you know, a lot of us know this can happen in denominations too, right? You know, they can say, Oh, this denomination is the best and we're the best and we're we, you know, follow this the closest and we're the more spiritual or something. You know, that that can happen within denominations as well. But remember that's a very immature position and it's a very ignorant place when a person holds up the messenger or, you know, a particular denomination or something like that instead of the message and who it's all about, Jesus. And quite frankly, that's how cults start, right? They start lifting up Brigham Young or Joseph Smith or uh what's his face from the Jehovah Witnesses, I uh, can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head, or Ellen White for the Adventists, or what's her name that started uh uh, <laughs> I should have those things at the top of my head. What's her name that did the, not, uh, uh anyway, some, uh, like Pentecostal, I can't think of her name, uh, you know, or, you know, this guy of this or whatever, this girl, whatever it might be, right? And that's how cults start. It comes a cult of personality. And then they build around the cult of personality, and then, you know, pretty soon, if that person is off in their doctrine, you know, you've, you've started this cult. Whether it's a big one or, or, or a room full of people, a handful of people, you know, that's how it starts. It comes around a person, and that person's elevated rather than, you know, the, the message Uh, which is Jesus and if you ever find yourself where people start looking to a person and wow that person really we get the truth from them and they're special and they're this and that and they walk you know a couple inches above the ground uh, I I, my advice to you is to not walk but run away from that (laughs) you know get away from that because that's the cult of personality, and that's how cults begin, and they, and then, you know, most people's ego can't take that. When people start looking up to them, think they're more spiritual, think they're better, and wow, oh, and they look at them in a sense of awe a little bit, you know, their ego wants to feed into that. Oh, I guess I am, and, you know, you you see that happening with movie stars, and, you know, musicians, and famous people. You know, they start believing their own press. They think they're better or smarter or whatever than everybody else, And, and then they, you know, Tear out hotel rooms and do whatever, <laughs> you know, I, you know, that whole thing. But again, you can like somebody, uh, some place. You feel like you get more, you learn more, you're better connected. Yes, but at the end of the day, we have so much in common in the larger body of Christ, right, and with others. So why major in what is so unimportant, you know? Because it's all about Jesus anyway. It's all for Him, and it's all about Him. And if somebody, you know, says, you know, tries to lift a person up or or a particular church or this or that, you know, man, you just got to correct that right away. And if they try to get you into that because of that, flee. (laughs) Flee from your life here. And then Paul goes on to say, you know, I thank God, verse 14, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, also I baptized the house of Stephanas, and besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So uh, again, it seems like you know, baptism had some association with what Paul is coming through, or Paul coming through, or Peter being there, or some people were baptizing, it seems like, in the name of Christ or something like that. And then, you know, it, it seems like, you know, part of this division was, okay, who baptized you? Oh well, when Peter was in town, he baptized me. Oh, okay. Come on, you're with us. We're the we're following Peter. Or who baptized you? Oh, Paul. Okay. Oh, well, Apollos did. Or whatever. You know. Oh no, well, these guys just did it in the name of Christ. Okay. Well, you're with us over here, kind of a thing. And um, you know, again, that's what uh, Paul said. I, I, I'm glad there isn't a large group that I baptized. Now, again, this is a this is pretty important in another way. A pretty important doctrine. Now. Baptism is important, but it is not essential to our salvation. We just need to remember that. Because he says it pretty clearly here. It's it's clearly said. Now there's some groups, and again, I think they're 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 getting smaller and smaller, but you know, some years ago, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, particularly like the Church of Christ was pretty much into this a lot, you know, that you had to be baptized in water, and typically by one of their their pastors or leaders, um, in order to have salvation. And that, that doctrine is still around, and it's still, you know, still there, but um, there's just no way. Because it clearly teaches here, he goes, I'm glad I didn't do more, because uh, you, you know, that would have made you know, the case for following me even stronger, and it should never be that you follow any one of us it's you know Christ is not divided <laughs> paul didn't i didn't get crucified for you it's all about jesus and so he's you know baptism is important water baptism is certainly important and we're called to do that but it's not unto salvation again that's adding something to the gospel you have to believe in jesus he died for your sins and receive that by faith and and you know and, and then and you know if you put a an and or a but there then there's just you've taken away from the words of Jesus on the cross when he said it is finished, right? And of course, there's some people that believe that, and here it teaches um, teaches it pretty different. Now, um, you know, because we are a Calvary Chapel, and, and you know, Chuck Smith founded the Calvary Chapel movement, you know, there there was always something special about, um, you know, being back, baptized by, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith, and they would go down to Corona Del Mar, and if you've ever been there to one of their baptisms, there's, Cron del Mar's got this beach, it's you know half moon shape it's it's a big beach but not a huge beach but they would just pretty much, the church would go down there and there would be people. If you look online, you can see pictures of it. There's people standing in the, kind of the the cliffs behind it and above in the parking lot and down there and the beach is full. And then you see people lined up to be baptized in the water. And of course, he can't baptize everybody, um, but you know, there was something special about trying to be baptized by him, I I guess. And um, you know, so some people understand that and they they like that and they would like to do that. And I understand that. As a matter of fact, when the first time went to, Israel with Chuck Smith, I and he's baptizing. We're in the Jordan. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get baptized by Chuck Smith because I'm in the Jordan and he's baptizing people. And I've been baptized, but hey, being baptized in the Jordan, I think is pretty cool. And he's here, and the water was like 52 degrees. It made the beach look down here like a <laughs> like a, a warm summer day. It was so cold when your feet hit the water. And he stood out there and baptized. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 people. I don't remember how many it was, but. Um, it was, it was kind of cool, and I was kind of fun, and I thought, you know, I'm here. I'm just going to do it no matter how cold it is. But I had a friend who was with us that said, no way, it's too cold. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, it's just too cold. And it was freezing. It really was painfully cold. Uh, you know, when your feet hit the water and it just hurts because it's so cold. He, most of us have been down to the beach and hit that water down here in the wintertime. And he said, no way I'm going to do it. And that was cool. I, I'm not anything special because I did it, or he's not anything not special because he didn't do it. Uh, again, it's not about that. It's about Jesus and whether people try to separate and put emphasis on who did it or who they follow, who they teach. It's just, it's again, it's very immature and a very ignorant place, and it's a dangerous place, and it's not good for the church. So he said, I, I'm glad I, I, you know, I didn't... Uh, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then it goes on in verse 17, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, verse 20 tells us, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe." So Paul goes on to say, you know, about not only about the messenger, but about the gospel itself. He kind of moves into a different section here. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah 29, 14. And what he says here is the message that we preach, and that's what's central to our faith, right? The message, not uh, not the messenger who preaches it, but the message. Just, Just think of this for a second. The gospel message is foolish by design. The gospel message is foolish by design. Uh, It's not wrapped around, the gospel is not wrapped around uh, man's wisdom. It's not uh, some clever delivery system that needs to happen. It's not discovered by spending years in some remote monastery or you know, chanting or living like a, you know, a, a monk or this or that or anything else. It's not discovered. It's not, um, its uh, the gospel is not um, wrapped around or in any of those things. And so therefore, since it's not something that a person can wrap their mind around or study in that sense, or it comes with a, you know a clever delivery that people could oh okay you know you know like that or spending years to obtain that it's 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 not that it's foolish by design but what we consider man considers foolish by you know foolish because it's foolish by design not the gospel message that, sorry if you I want you to misunderstand that it's foolish to to people by design just Everybody in general, it's, it's it's foolish in that way when they look at it. But the reality of it is, he goes on to say, right, in fact, it destroys all wisdom and the figuring out of man. And, and we come to the Lord and we come to faith uh, when the Lord opens our hearts. I mean, that's the bottom line. He draws us to us and gives us eyes to see, and then we in faith receive what we have just heard and what we know now it, it so it, it excludes you know, people obtaining it by spending, you know, months or years in some remote monastery doing something or or oh yeah, you know, years of school and studying you can kind of figure it out and understand the wisdom behind it or, you know, oh, you know, you gotta say it a certain way and do it a certain, you know, place and certain thing and then you'll you know, people, you know, will get it. No, it's not like that at all. He comes to it. It's spiritual, not natural. And that's why, again, when so many people look at you and they just can't quite figure out why you want to go to church, why you want to read the Bible, why do you want to pray? I mean, why are you on church on Wednesday night? That's just weird. I mean, I got, I can get going on Sunday, but when you're going to church on Wednesday, there's something wrong here. And even Sunday all the time, I mean, come on. You make that a priority instead of going you know, uh, to watch football or... Soccer? I know, soccer in there too. <laughs> or to go watch soccer or you know, whatever sport or you know, going out on the lake or taking your motor home or you know, going fishing in the ocean or whatever it is, right? And you go to church all the time instead of you know, pursuing hobbies like everybody else? They just don't get it. That's because it's, it's not something naturally that they can understand. It's spiritual. And to the natural eyes, it seems foolish. So don't get upset, don't get offended when they look at you and think, man, you're, there's something wrong with you because you're doing all this and you believe all this because it's not natural. It's They're not going to understand with the natural eyes they have. And it will seem foolish to them. And that's why people will put you down and say, oh man, the reason you're... You're doing that is because you need a crutch and you're weak and you're you know not too smart and, and you know you need a, a reason to believe an excuse and all this to explain these things, and I'm smart enough that to not need any of those things. That's pretty much you know how people you know divide those things out, and it's going to seem foolish to them so don't get surprised, don't get offended, that's the way thing. think. That's by design. And then you know. Paul will say in verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. In the wisdom of God, the world did not through wisdom, their wisdom, they didn't know God. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And when it says, who's the disputer of this age? Listen, this just fits right into what's going on today with us, right? The disputer of this age are people who think that the world's problem or that every problem that comes along can be solved by human wisdom or human reasoning. They think, well, we have the solution to all our problems. They do. I and mean, how many people, and typically these tend to be, you know, well-spoken, highly regarded people that think, you know, you know, we have the solution to all the problems. We can think our way out of this, you know. I don't know how many times Elon Musk has kind of said that, uh, and all these rich and famous guys, particularly a lot of the Silicon Valley you know, people think that, you know, they can just smart their way out of it. We have the wisdom and the ability to get ourselves out of and solve every problem, and that's why they push, oh, if we just get rid of fossil fuels, right, uh, or have a small carbon footprint, then, you know, we eliminate all weapons of war. If we did that, we wouldn't have a Ukraine right now or something like that. And they think that, you know, if we just get rid of fossil fuels and our environment Turns back a couple of degrees or whatever they say, you know, and and, and we follow those solutions, then everything will be great. We know, we're going to be living in nirvana or something. That's what they. That's what they say. And, and they think and they think that, and it's alive and well in our society today. But you, you know, Paul saying it's. it's That's the natural way of thinking, but the spiritual way of thinking and the gospel and the spiritual message is completely opposite of that. It's completely devoid of that, as a matter of fact. Now, he's not condemning all learning and education, because that's just not true. He merely says, by themselves, they are useless for obtaining spiritual wisdom and to receive the gospel because it's spiritual by nature and by design, not natural, and it doesn't come through that. You know that's why. Um, you know again, it's not, it doesn't happen so much in California, but typically when you go to the South, and I have a a good friend who has a church in Virginia, and you know part of the you know the buck, you know it's not the buckle of the Bible Belt, but it's down there. You know people just. From generations go to a church they're a member of that church and their parents were or you know their grandparents and you know they just go to church on Sunday but it's just something they do it's kind of akin to our community and people going to mass on Sunday um, you know they just go because that's what their parents did and their grandparents did and they're Catholic kind of by birth um, you know it kind of came in via you know your family history and, and what you do and um, But again, it's not that at all. You can't come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be a child of God just by following the natural wisdom or the natural um, uh, passing along of spiritual truths by some family member. No, it's individual and it's personal and it's outside of human wisdom and reasoning. And again, um, nothing wrong with education or learning, not at all, but you just can't, come to the knowledge of God and you can't obtain spiritual wisdom through those things i I like this quote um it says this there is a consistent tendency to think that the smartest and wisest humans will not know well i'm sorry will know the most about God but God cannot be found through human wisdom but only through the message of the cross the pursuit of human wisdom may bring an earthly contentment or happiness, though this is rare, but in itself it can never bring the true knowledge of the true God. And again, it's by design. And if you look at that word in verse 21, it says, "Through The world through the wisdom did not know God, and again, that, that know that word no know means um, uh, knowledge, uh, it's, it's no know through knowledge, not through the wisdom of man, that's through experience. It's talking about experience, somebody that's experienced the salvation, the gospel, the good news, whose eyes have been opened spiritually, uh, you know, they don't know God because their eyes haven't been opened, they don't know God. It's not It's not something you know, it's something that you know, you know, by experience. Not by knowledge, by experience. They can't experience or know God, uh, you know, uh, because it's spiritual, you know, and, and that's what he says here. So, you know, it seems even the most educated... And, and at the end of the day, doesn't it seem like the most educated people have the least regard for God? I mean, typically you go to most of the universities in the higher learning or these think tanks. And typically, don't you find that they have the least regard to God? They 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 hold up man's wisdom as, you know, the pinnacle of everything. You know, you just get smarter and smarter. And of course, they're up. They feel like they're up there. And so, you know, they want to keep top of the pyramid. And sadly, that's what happens that, you know, there's that story. You've been around church very long. You've, you've heard it many times, but, you know, Albert Einstein, supposedly when he was teaching some classes uh, some of his students decided to tell him you know that they decided that there was no God and then the story goes on you know Einstein asked him, well of all the knowledge there is in the world, if everything there is to learn, uh, how much collectively and as a class here do you think you know of all the knowledge and, and everything there is to learn in the world how much do you guys know? of everything there is to know in the world. And the students discussed it for a while, and of course, you know, they came back with, well, we about everything there is to know, we probably collectively know about 5%. And of course, you know, um, you know uh, Einstein goes on to say, you know, that, oh, he kind of chuckled at that, that they would even know 5% of everything. But then he goes on to say, even if you do know 5%, don't you think... The knowledge is it. Isn't it possible that the knowledge of God exists in 95, the 95 percent that you don't know? And um, you know, I always say that. Uh, you know, I use that a lot when I'm witnessing to people, and and you know, they're kind of w- waffling about, well, is God really there or not, or something like that. And I say, you know, I- I'll, I'll say that. Well, of everything there is to know, how much do you really think you know? And a lot of times, I'll be generous. I said, you know. 10%, you know, and, then and, you know, they'll usually argue or say something like that or agree, and I said, well, you know, again, all that you don't know, obviously, couldn't, you know, the knowledge of him be found in all those things you don't know, and of course, we know that to be true, but it gives them an opportunity to kind of think about that, is that, okay, I you know, I I know what I've been taught, but there's so much more I don't know. And obviously we're talking about the spiritual wisdom that they just haven't been able to see. They're obtaining kind of worldly wisdom, and that's, we're trying to move them into that, away from that human uh, wisdom, um, and again into the godly knowledge. And and again, um, human wisdom typically is always rejecting God and opposing Him, because it holds up man, and it you know, if we're so smart, then what do we need God for? He's not, you know, whatever. We can solve everything in that whole kind of thing. It's just kind of that natural equation and, and moves that way. And it's, you know, the way things are. And then Paul will give two illustrations as we finish up here. Uh, why to the natural eyes it seems foolish. And he'll use the Jews and the rest of the world, Greeks. And verse 22 says, For the Jews require, uh, request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But verse 24 says, To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So again, you know, the, he goes on to say, This is what the, the Jews handle it. they're looking for a sign. You know, they wanted uh, a sign of the miraculous Messiah's deliverance, right? And they were not looking for the message of the cross. They were looking for this conquering hero coming in and kicking out the Romans and doing all that stuff. And they weren't looking for the message of the cross. Cross. And the Greeks, or the non-Jews, if you would, they valued the pursuit what, of wisdom and academic and philosophy and all those kind of things. And they didn't value the wisdom expressed in the message of the cross. They didn't either. Neither one of them wanted to or see or, or even uh, explore the message of the cross. They, they weren't looking for it. And therefore, it's ridiculous to them or foolishness to them. Here's another quote I thought was good. He says, To the heathen, the preaching of the cross was senseless. How could anyone accept as Lord and Savior someone who did not have enough common sense to avoid the disgrace of death by crucifixion? If he could not save himself, how could he save anyone else? And of course, that kind of rings a little bell maybe in the back of our mind we were going through the Gospel of Luke and they were standing there, all these religious leaders and other people were yelling at him, you know, how can you save everybody? You can't even save yourself. If you save yourself, come on down and then we'll believe. But again, that's the wisdom of man. That's the way they wanted it to happen. That's the way they expected it to happen. And because he wasn't fulfilling that way, the message of dying on the cross for paying for people's sins just just seemed like foolishness to them. And we have to understand that, you know, they, uh, they, the Greeks and the Jews, or the non-Jews and the Jews, demanded deliverance and wisdom, and God gave them something completely unexpected, which was a crucified Messiah. So again, uh, when the gospel call, you know, call is heard and heeded, evidence is seen in the transformation of one's life. It doesn't really come through this wisdom and, okay, I've obtained this and everything. No, it's, it's the transforming power of a transformed life, right? The, the transforming power of the, of the Lord and transforming a life. It's not uh, you know, something you just obtain by wisdom. And that just short circuits you know, people's thinking. It becomes foolish to them and by design. And then he says in verse 26, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to the shame the things that are, which are mighty. Verse 28, and the things, I'm sorry, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not To bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, I think Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 answers a lot to this whole thing that he's going on. You know, and it tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. That explains a lot to us. We need to understand that. And that verse is, you know, understood by us and known. But again, that really explains all that because here's man's wisdom. And man's wisdom leads to what? Following Cephas, following Paul, following Apollos, you know, making these divisions, doing that. That's all part of that that kind of worldly wisdom and thinking they're more spiritual and all that. And then, of course, outside the church, it plays into people that just don't know the Lord. They think they can do it by wisdom too and and some kind of worldly wisdom. But God's ways and God's thoughts are just out of the ballpark compared to anything that we can think of or do. And, and again, um, those that, you know, think they're, something smart really don't have room for God at all. That's the sad thing, because they occupy their intellect, their knowledge, their wisdom, their experience, you know, occupies the throne in their life, and that gets set up there, and that's what's worshipped. As a matter of fact, I, I like this quote. Uh, to, it speaks to that. Uh, when the astronomers thought their way back um, to the beginning of time, They boldly postulated the Big Bang and confidently asserted what the universe was like at the moment and a second or so afterward. But Einstein and others shrank from going back one step beyond the Big Bang to the split second before the beginning. That would have brought them face to face with God, and the last thing they wanted to do was to prove the theologians to have been right after all, <laughs> I I like that you know because even if you do follow their wisdom back and you know you can share the gospel with people that think that way and you know you follow it back okay let's just say your whole big bang is true that what where, where did everything come that led up to the big bang you know what, how did everything just appear and again you know that just goes beyond human understanding and reasoning. And, you know, it brings us right back to God, I I think, every time, obviously. And then if it brings you back to God, then, okay, what is He? And then you keep working forward. But again, you know, Paul says it's not the rich, it's not the wise, it's not the powerful. It's not that they can't come to the Lord, but it's not, you know, not many do, right? Because somehow they think it's beneath them. It's for the weak and for the foolish, and pride is just a big obstacle. It really is. But because His way is foolish to man, it's all God's grace, nobody will be able to stand and say, I figured it out, I did it, I accomplished it by doing this. You see, that's why it makes it... Nobody can do it or obtain it or understand it or receive it on any human wisdom or human understanding or human work or uh, you know anything they've accomplished? It's not like that. Um, again, even in the even in the larger church you know denominations and the larger church body as a whole, you know, um, you know, just bringing it kind of down to, to where we are. You know, if if a person studied at Oxford or had several ThDs or something and or came from you know, some prominent seminaries this way, and, and the church was you know, doing well in some way, people would say, oh, that makes sense, what's going on here. You know, I look at what he studied and accomplished, and he understands so much about everything, and that makes sense why everything is so successful. Because then it's, it makes sense to them, because it's a result of what a person did, or or, uh, or some program that they came up with to get people in the church, or this or that, and, and then it you know becomes it falls back on man, and that's why those things don't last in the church. When they, you know, again as a as a church, you get you know mail all the time that says, oh, you know, how to grow your church, how to keep people from coming, how to keep people coming, how to get people to tithe more, how to you know get this group interested how to do this and they have all these programs you can buy and you know do it all and and, and again not that those things are bad in and of itself or they're wrong necessarily but a lot of it goes back to you know man's wisdom and this is how we think people are and so this is how we attract them this is how we get them to stay this is how we get them to give and or whatever it might be in any particular program but at the end of the day it points back to a person or a group of people that came up with that, and you know, where's God and all that? Eventually, those things always just they fold uh, because you know it's not of God at the end of the day. It's of man, and at the end of the day, God's not going to share that with with people. And the reason He does that is because He loves us, and He realizes if you put trust in a system or a person or this or that, they're going to let you down at some point. And then your your whole faith is going to be shipwrecked. That's why, you know, you don't follow after Paul or, or, or Peter or Apollos or anybody else like that, because those people will let you down at some point. People will, whether they want to or not. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say some things wrong. They're going to say something that might be offensive to people. They might do something in some place because they're... They're frail humans, and that's why we give the glory and praise and talk about glory to God and praise the Lord and all this because we put the attention on Him and not on ourselves. And and, and that's why you know when the attention's on a person or that's uh, attributed to some sort of success or people and this and that, it's it's just not going to stand. You know they're, they're going oh who's that guy oh what they're doing oh let's copy that let's copy this let's do that no are you kidding me. And let's finish up verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom of God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So with all this, God gets the glory and not man, not some ministry, not people going up to a monastery, not people learning a certain way or learning this or this person, Uh, not my willpower got me out of this or did this, not my words I spoke to you. No, it's all about Him working in and through us. And to everybody else, it seems like foolishness, the message of the gospel, that they don't know it. And they want to run it down because they can't process through their normal thinking and their logics. And how could God do it this way? You know, I'm not looking for that message in that way, the Jews would say. Uh, I, the the non-Jews would say, we're, you know, there's no way it can come from that way. That seems too far out there, weak, uh, unattainable, doesn't make sense, does not compute, right? Um, remember that in the days when computers were just starting it and said, do not compute, <laughs> You young kids don't understand those things, but you know, at some point you put in a bunch of garbage and it just would say, like, what? <laughs> now they're too smart to do all that. But you know, that's the way people are. It just doesn't compute, it doesn't make sense. But we just need to always, you know, be careful to give God the glory and uh, he will never let us down. And we can't get sidetracked in these cults of personality and these people and think we're more spiritual because of that. It divides the church. It's not good. And and you you realize that how we came to the Lord was through His grace and through the message. And we had, you know, our eyes were open in that spiritual sense that we might see the truth of the gospel message and how Jesus Christ died for our sins. And now we see, and we have to realize the world at large sees that as foolishness, but it's by design. And it's the way He chose to do it. And so when we come up against that, we'll, we'll understand how pe- where people are coming from. It's not, shouldn't hit us as a surprise why they, it does hit us as a surprise because we're like, we know how much it's just blessed us and how much it's meant and we just, I can't believe you just don't want to do this. I have so much and you just don't want to. So, you know, there's always that, that shock value, but we have to understand they're trying to process it in natural wisdom and it just, you know, the answer is does not compute. So we pray for them, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, and it's a spiritual battle, as we most know, and we need to understand that. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we do thank you for this time that we get to look at your word, Lord. Just minister in our hearts, Father. May we never be part of that division. Lord, may we always try to work unity within your body, Father. That's what you love. That's what you desire. And there's people we won't uh, agree with, but that... Doesn't mean that we have to come into some fight or draw some line in the sand, Lord. There's there's so much room within the body for, you know, true believers and brothers and sisters, Lord, um, that we need to stand in unison, Lord, and help us never to divide over things like that, Lord. And again, because that's what the world does. They don't understand. It doesn't compute. But Father, we thankful for the for the message and. Um, we thank you that you chose to share it with us and open our eyes. And I do pray for anybody today that hasn't. You know, they try to think they, can, they know enough in their mind or if they just learn a few more things out of the Bible that they're going to be okay. Uh, it's not like that at all. It can't be just knowledge in your mind. It has to be knowledge through experience. They have to experience uh, that gift of salvation and that faith. It's something they have to know by experience, not know in their head. And if there's people that just know in their head, okay, I know that Jesus died, I know God's in heaven, I know these things, but if it has no impact on their life, then it's just really head knowledge and uh, it's not saving knowledge because that knowledge comes with experience by receiving that free gift of salvation of what Jesus did on the cross. And so we pray that they would do that and that we would be strengthened, Father, as well in our faith and in our unity. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen, Amen, you guys.